Central Asia is the crossroads of the world, and for many centuries was the main trade route between Europe and Asia. Because of the influences of so many cultures, the art that was emanated from that region is astounding, from dance to music to science to literature, poetry. There's a long and rich tradition of Central Asian art. Today with us, we have Charlene Sawyer, the founder of Asana Arts and Cultural Society, a nonprofit that has been celebrating Central Asian culture in the Bay Area for over 30 years. Stay with us. So Charlene, first, um, tell us a little bit about kind of your background and how you came to um, the appreciation of Central Asian culture. Wow. It's... Uh it's kind of a, you, you can't predict where you're going to fall in love. And I fell in love with Central Asian, uh, specifically Persian music, when I was quite young. In fact, my parents were here uh, in Berkeley. I grew up mostly in Berkeley. And we had friends that were from that part of the world. Uh, we're, ju- we're just so lucky here in the Bay Area. I mean, really, we are so lucky. And you know, in my early childhood, we had friends, we'd go over to dinner and someone would whip out a santour and a violin and everybody would be singing, taking turns, singing their favorite songs. And I was just enamored of the music and it followed me. It was just, that was it. I was smitten. So from an early age... You were exposed, yeah, and, yeah. and it was love. It was just for the love of... Yeah, love at first listen. <laughs> and then as a dance artist, which is what I... That was my path in life. I became more immersed in dances of this region and more immersed in the culture and the history and being kind of a history buff. I really got excited about the inner reaction, the interactions of cultures along this enormous area of Eurasia, which had informed, you know, so much of our European culture. And it was just a lifelong learning experience that continues to this day. Yeah, it is. It's such the crossroads of the world. And it's so amazing when you see the people from that part of the world, the features that they have, they really, really come from all four corners of the globe. They can, you can have these incredible green eyes, you can have Asiatic features, or just, it's so incredible. And if you see the Buddha statues in that part of the world, they look different from other parts of, you know, Eastern Asia, Buddhist type statues. They have all these different features just to make take the makeup of that gene pool that's so incredible that's there at the crossroads. It's just it's like the it's like the somebody described it like the roundabout of Eurasia that like Afghanistan and Bactria, uh, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, parts of Iran were were kind of like where all of the traffic came together and started to circle. And it was this incredible diversity of of cultures and peoples that mixed in that area. Very, very uh, multi-ethnic. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you uh, had a love for it and you have a dance background. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, like every every good young girl pretty much in, in America, I was able to take ballet and modern dance and just all the advantages as far as dance goes and also world dance, which was offered, you know, here by various people who were from various parts of the world and took African dance and flamenco and uh, Middle Eastern dance and 
uh, folk dance of Bulgaria, the Balkans, you know, just everything. I was just soaking it up like a sponge. Uh, I started performing as a performing artist when I was maybe 12 years old and then started directing dance companies at about the age of 18. So Ballet Afsana grew out of that experience and my deep love for this particular region of the world. And uh, I formed that company in 1986 in a a very interesting time as far as, you know, the politics of that part of the world went. And my friends who are in the Persian community, it's a very, you know, post-revolutionary, post-Islamic revolution. And a lot of... uh, a lot of people in the community were very uh, – there was a lot of profiling that was going on at that time and it was very important to have some kind of uh, self-expression that could also be a universal language for for others in you know the general population to know more about their culture rather than you know what's behind the headlines. Interesting. But it's the Berkeley girl that started it, not, a, not an Iranian. <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting. We There were several Iranians who – who have uh, been in uh, the dance world and were here either in Los Angeles or in California or would pass through. But there are other concerns. You know, when you're a recent uh, immigrant who's coming to terms with, uh, well, I guess we're staying here for a while, perhaps dance and the arts are not the first thing on your mind. Uh, So we were able to work with some of those dancers that were from from Iran and had you know had learning that they had brought with them and also musicians who were here in the area and to start to save and reconstruct and preserve and also to innovate uh, in that genre and then became quickly aware that it was impossible to separate along national borders the dance traditions or the music traditions or the cultural traditions of literature of this region because the borders are really arbitrary. uh, And relatively recent. Yes, and relatively recent, politically speaking. Uh, We see that there's some unifying factors. You know, you see Persian poetry in North India and you see Persian poetry in Istanbul. You see in Asia Minor, you see Persian poetry in in Cairo. I mean, it's these are these are unifying forces. You see makam systems that are very similar in Western China, or what is called Western China now, which could be called Turkestan, depending on which which aspect <laughs> you're you're looking at. Uh, but those makam systems are fairly similar all the way through the entire Eurasian area that we're we're interested in. And it's so interesting that you said that you started it in somewhat in response to the revolutionary times of the 80s, mm-hmm. but it's almost more even more relevant now with the beat of drum going on the 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 war drums beating Absolutely. Iran, Afghanistan's been in chaos for over 30 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's so relevant to bring the beauty of that part of the world to this part of the world mm-hmm. so that people can understand that there's more to those people than what you see on CNN or, you know, the kind of the gory headlines that we... Right. It's were. hard to vilify someone whose music moves you or whose dance is... You're responding to the art and the culture and the history. It's a little hard to vilify that 
that other as the other. Uh, and that's been kind of my subversive nature, you know, being a, a, Berkeley, a good Berkeley girl and having grown up with a family that was all about social justice and civil rights and that this just tended to be my path. You're listening to KALX, Berkeley, 90.7 FM. This is Method to the Madness, a 30-minute show about the innovative spirit of the Bay Area, and I'm your host, Ali Nazar. Thanks for listening. Today, we're visiting with Charlene Sawyer, the founder and director of Ballet Afsana and the Afsana Arts and Cultural Society. We've been talking about Central Asian art and the beauty of it. I'm a big fan. My family's from there, have heritage there. It's been a wonderful journey, and I don't think I could have chosen to do anything else. It, it was almost like, you know, the hand of fate grabs you by the collar and pulls you along. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit about um, the performances that you guys do. So you have yearly performances, you have a schedule. How many performances on year, a year on average do you do? You do? We average about 18 to 20 public performances a year. Some of those are very small, might be one one solo uh, artist at a, a community gathering, or it might be uh, 30 artists at a, a large festival event, or I think we went and did a New York a parade out in New York for the the Persian New Year parade, and we brought thirty dancers out for that. And it's uh, collaborating through the year. We do university performances. We've gone to the British Museum in London, so we're traveling quite a bit as well uh, with the professional ensemble. And then we have more of a community participatory group. Uh, Ethnic Dance Festival has been a mainstay of our year for for many, many years. I think I was performing myself in the first festival. and uh, Yeah, I attended that a couple of years ago. Tell the audience a little bit about the Ethnic Dance Festival. It's a really wonderful event. Oh, my God. There's nothing like it anywhere in the world. This is a, a festival that brings the enormous wealth of multicultural Bay Area ethnicities that have all of these amazing groups that are either professional, pre-professional, or just folks getting together very high-caliber work that's being turned out. And these are local Northern California groups or specifically Bay Area. There are over 150 artists most festivals, and it goes for three or four weekends in San Francisco, uh, usually at the Palace of Fine Arts, but they've started doing performances in other locations, Yerba Buena, uh, at this point, this year. And that takes place in June, and it's just, it's been a, a huge asset for San Francisco to help develop these diverse dance groups, specifically focused on dance. Interestingly enough, the media here has taken notice, and it's very popular, but it took somebody from New York doing a review of it to finally wake people up. You know, he was, uh, Macaulay did this wonderful review. It's like, where else but San Francisco could you find this? And it's just, it's really not to be missed. Yeah, it's breathtaking. I mean, you literally, it's every part of the world seems to be... Mm-hmm. You know, represented. So you'll be sitting there, and you'll see a dance from Africa, and you'll see one from China, and you'll see Korea, from, yeah, uh, Taiko, I, it, all over Asia. I mean, it's just the entire world. 
and I I like to think of San Francisco Bay Area as kind of kind of like a, a a city on the Silk Road, you know, in the old the old historic Silk Road. It's it's almost that this is now you know one of those cities, one of those diverse cities where the exchange of ideas and the 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 fantastic sparking of new new culture and new flavor becomes becomes possible with that diversity. Yeah, that's very much what my show's about is about the innovative spirit of the bay and I think a lot of it is because of that, you know, the melting pot that we have here and mm-hmm. and there's so many different cultures represented and and that's the promise of America, but I think the bay area being a very progressive place and more accepting, I think that there's a lot more celebration of those differences here than there might be in other parts of the country. Yeah, I I start to get that feeling as we travel, you know, and oftentimes we're asked and, you know, in the old days it used to be asked here in the Bay Area, well, don't, you're you're doing dances from Iran and dances from Afghanistan. How come you guys aren't, you know, covered up in some kind of burqa situation? You know, it's like, well, you know, these places are not all like that. You know, that's a very diverse area. There's a process of education that goes on and we still get those questions in, in many areas. You know, oh, really? They play music? <laughs> it's, very, it's very interesting. Yeah, um, not just music, beautiful music, a long oh. history, a long tradition of, of music. Amazing and and very eclectic. You you have everything from these very rough sounding, very rural, uh, rural pieces to this highly refined, highly developed, very uh, ambitious compositionally. Uh, the the mathematics, the sciences, the what what we don't know about as a as general American speaking as a general American about the history and the contribution of that particular region of the world to world science, culture, religion, art. It's beyond it's beyond measure. We we know so little, and it's high time that we know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I always tell people about, um, the, you know, during the dark ages of, of Europe, this is this is the part of the world that kept the the light aflame. A lot of the mm-hmm. Greek knowledge came through, was transferred over into Persian because that's, that's those were the people who were interested at that time or mm-hmm. in Arabic, and mm-hmm. that's how it was preserved. Mm, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I wanted to ask about – you talked about the Silk Road as I've always loved the Silk Road too and that um, – just this, the romance of it. Mm-hmm, you know, it's this mm-hmm. huge tell, – tell the listeners about the Silk Road. What, what is it? OK. The basic facts, uh, 7,000 miles of intersecting trade routes by land and by sea, various points in history when it was in its heyday. I'd say one was, you know, 200 BC was a, a big a big marker for, for the Silk Road trade. And then we go into the, like you say, the medieval period from Europe when Europe languished through the Dark Ages and yet this enormous flourishing of art, culture, science, ideas was was it you know emanating from those regions in Eurasia the central asia in particular and then we move into the renaissance period which were was the benefit to europe from that that particular time on the silk road that was the trade it was coming straight out of china coming all the way through and meandering through by land by sea and eventually ending up in venice 
ending up in Istanbul, Venice. And that's where a lot of that that knowledge sparked the Renaissance in Europe and then was able to go on from there. So uh, so it was the link. It represented like the metaphorical, but it was actually a physical link mm-hmm, between East mm-hmm. and West. And this was a this was a series of trade routes, various ways. I have a a map that we bring to our festival that shows all of these intersecting routes, and it's it's so much fun because we'll have an audience. Oh, we haven't even talked about the festival. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there, but. We'll have people in our audiences come up and point to where their family was from or, you know, here's where, you know, this happened or, you know, and and then at a certain point, all of the the trade routes started to go by way of the sea. You know, so the overland trade route started to die out as a as a conduit. And that was an interesting point in history, 1492, Magellan and his crew, I'll remember that. That's when they were trying to find a way to circumvent those overland routes into China. And a lot of it had to do with the silk trade. A lot of it had to do with the fact that Rome and every empire after that and Damascus, as in Damask cloth, as in Venice uh, merchants who were hungry for silk and brocade, which was controlled by the overland trade routes and all going through Samarkand, Bokhara, uh, parts of parts of Iran, parts of the various countries in those that we now know as countries in those areas. And discovering a sea route and spices, of course, discovering a sea route was imperative. It was like, we don't want to have to pay this high price for this stuff. Sure. It's just you know. You're listening to KALX Berkeley, 90.7 FM, University and Community-sponsored radio. This is Method to the Madness, a 30-minute show that celebrates the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar. And today we've had with us Charlene Sawyer, the founder of Asana Arts and Culture Society, and Bali Asana, a local dance troupe that celebrates Central Asian culture here in the Bay Area. Yeah, so um, you've built the the kind of jewel of the Ballet of Sana um, season is the Festival of the Silk Road. It's kind of in celebration of this romantic time. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that. That's coming up and, soon, right? Yeah, it's coming up on May 6th uh, down in San Jose at the Mexican Heritage Plaza, which is a, a fabulous theater and a great garden venue. It's just this wonderful place to, to have this festival. And we started this as a home season back in 2001 for Ballet Afsane. And we had a great uh, several years where we were just doing it as an exclusively Ballet Afsane with our collaborators. And about 2008, we realized that this was getting prohibitively expensive for everybody involved. Production costs were going way up. Most of our sister companies in the Bay Area, the people that we were collaborating with and that we would often see at various performances, were starting to feel the pinch. And it was just a great idea. It's like, okay, let's just get together and do this all at the same time and share the cost, share the work, and be able to bring this in as a community, bring us together, celebrate. And it's not exclusively traditional anymore. We're talking about self-representation of peoples and communities who are not preserved in amber. I mean, we're we're innovating all the time. And being able to innovate is part of what the Silk Road 
in my you know in my opinion was about it's like what is it about you know bringing together different cultures and sparking some kind of creativity together it doesn't just leave you as one thing you're now being able to work with each other and create new ideas based on that input so we look at the silk road as a metaphor for cultures in collaboration so there's there's these wonderful there are wonderful innovative pieces that are performed in the concert at the festival of the silk road there's wonderful innovative goods and delicious food that are you know that are made that are there at the at the bazaar we call the silk road bazaar there for the asking you know, so it's this become this wonderful community event. So it's one evening, May sixth. Is that what you said? Yeah, it's actually we're starting the in the afternoon. Okay. Now this is something we remember. We started this during the crash of you know after the crash of two thousand eight. Yeah. When everybody was oh gee, can we really bring even even bring in an audience? Will our audience have the gas money to get to let alone buy a ticket? So we reduced the ticket prices to half. We brought in everybody, and we started with an extended evening with the Silk Road Bazaar and the concert and just kept yearning to do an afternoon component to be able to bring in more folk dance and participatory dances and more participation during the afternoon for kids and families. And this is the first year. We're taking the plunge this year. (laughs) So we're really excited about that. Not only is there a concert with master artists and performing next to young talent. But we're also going into the afternoon with some Turkish folklore dance. Uh, you know, they're bringing in the big bagpipes and the dahol, and we're just taking over the garden in the afternoon with the bazaar and the the various activities. Wow, it sounds exciting. So that's May 6th. May 6th. Uh, we start at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and go the concert gets done we're starting the concert early because it's a sunday night and you know the kids and the older folks have to get home at some point so we'll probably be ending between 9 30 10 o'clock and stay open another little bit just okay to... yeah and for the um uh listeners who have been in the mexican mexican heritage hall it is a really beautiful yeah that San Jose. It, mexican heritage plaza theater okay uh it's it's actually pretty convenient to East Bay. I don't know how many of your listeners are from the East Bay, but it's you just go straight down 880 and right where Highway 101 and 880 collide, it's the, that's the exit. Yeah, we'll put it on our website, methodsofthematis.org. You'll get a link to that if you want to go check it out. Great. And we'll put a link to, um, to Charlene's website as well. So give us a little bit. I love, always end my interviews with asking about the, the future the vision. So you've been doing this for a long time, but it's also, it seems to in the recent times with the Silk Road Festival, you've you've innovated and come to a new place. So mm-hmm. what what does it look like in the future? What's your your vision for the uh, the Arts and Culture Society? Well, we fully expect to keep going, and the reason that I'm hopeful and excited about that right now is that we have a younger generation of artists who are now starting to, you know, really go full full bore. They're really starting to take the reins of the administrative side of it and grapple with the with the organizational side and the the various ramifications of that and you know, not only as artists but as as you know, vital members of a community that forms a platform that can be a platform that lasts for through the ages for people to either get their start or 
support their projects. So that's what we where we see our role at this point. Uh, yes, we still have our professional performance ensemble, and yes, that's a big a big flagship program for us. But we're looking. We also innovate in that we've got projects and various uh, fiscal sponsored projects. <clears throat> Excuse me. The fiscally sponsored projects that we help bring to fruit and collaborate with our younger artists and our younger people who are in the community. So it's starting to really – there are some changes afoot that are really getting exciting. You know, it's much more uh, the community trust uh, trust aspect of this is starting to emerge in a big way. That's great because that's the, the goal, I think, of – I've interviewed a lot of founders and been part of organizations in their founding. And that's almost always the goal is to create something that outlasts you, outlasts your participation. Oh, absolutely. And, and endures. Yeah. And it sounds like you're on the path. So congratulations and thanks for coming in today. Hey, thank you, Ali. It's been great to be here. To learn more about the Festival of the Silk Road or the Offsana Arts and Culture Society, check out the link from our website at methodtomthemadness.org. You've been listening to Method to the Madness on KALX Berkeley. Happy Friday, everybody.